Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. I am with Noel Gallagher, who I'm very happy to say has got shades on. Just through necessity, I'm afraid. I was out late last night. It's a, or it's early a, this it's, morning. It's a rock and roll tradition. and well, You kind of are kind of allowed to wear them indoors, particularly, mm. if you're uh, a rock and roll star. And I like a bit of distance from an interviewee. It's like blind date. I did. I, I, I said to you before we started, I'm not being rude. I genuinely no. was kind of up at 10 to 6 this you morning. You look great. Oh, thank you very much. I'm just feeling bad that I didn't wear them as well. That would have been brilliant. You should have some absolute radio embossed ones. <laughs> <laughs> they probably exist. Yeah. So I, I tell you what, I had a look at the last time I interviewed you. It was on TV, wasn't it? It was. It was 17 years ago this week. No. It was. Wow, that's insane. And um, it, the interview ended with you saying, um, you know, it's a young man's game, rock and roll. And you said, but knowing my luck, I'll probably still be doing it when I'm 50. Did I say that? And here oh, we are. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. So why? I'm not interested in anything else. But you don't need to work, do you? No, but I guess because it's like if you're a bass player, right, or a drummer, they're the kind of people who don't need to work. But I write, so I I love the writing. And if you write, then you you're kind of obliged to go out and play gigs, I suppose. But I do like it. Mm. <clears throat> I love it. The travelling and the I guess being creative kind of keeps you doing it. It's good, because the, the, the thing people usually go off, they like, as you say, the creative stuff, but they don't like the hotels and the... the there is a funny... There's a fu- when, you, when you first start and you're travelling the world in five-star hotels, it's like the greatest thing ever. Oh. But then when you've made that money that your house is better than any hotel that you stay in, you're kind of always in... Yeah. yeah. You know, I'd have been a six-star house. This five-star hotel is not going to cut it anymore. But um, <clears throat> I tend to stay at mid-range hotels now. They just—they're just more excited to have me. <laughs> when you start staying in hotels that double as spas, yeah, yeah, that's when you know you've cracked it. Ah, oh, you've landed there. Here's people... your room service menu and your spa menu, sir. Oh yes, man, you, you go much. you go for a meal and there's someone in a robe <laughs> at the next table. Yeah. Or checking in, people in flip-flops. What would you say was the question you're asked most? Not just in interviews, in the street, by uh, anyone. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I would say... It's, I guess it's the question Paul McCartney gets asked the most. So, what was it like? Oh, uh, yeah. What was it like? Well, it, I don't know. It was just it's what it was you know I was McCartney says he gets asked a lot so what was it like being in the Beatles mm. well uh, it was my normality I suppose the 90s what was that like it was great is my answer to that I think I interviewed Ringo once he said that when if a bloke comes round to mend his boiler he's waiting he's waiting for the B word right <laughs> to come up I mean do you feel like that about it with, with the O word do you sort of think oh no I think it's great you have to be of the mindset that if you're hailing a black cab 99% certainty that the guy that pulls over is going to be an Oasis fan right and you know I won't charge you you give me so many great memories, son. Oh. And I'm just like, there's only 220. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I won't charge you, they say. You know, it's like £2.60. No, it's on me, mate. Oh, thanks. It was worth all that touring <laughs> yeah. for that. <laughs> I saved 260 there. So what, what makes you happy now? 
it's not one general thing. I suppose it goes without saying your family moments. Yeah. When uh, you know you're playing football with two, with two lads in the back garden. But then, odd things. I can be kind of sat in a hotel room and I actually have a day off and I've actually have nothing to do in a town where you're not even interested going out in because you've been there so often. And you just think, let's just lie on this bed all day and just watch telly. Oh, that's great. Isn't it? That kind of thing is just like, it doesn't get any better than this. Get you your know. robe on. Let's abs- <laughs> peruse through the spa menu. <laughs> See if I can get a toe rub from somebody. <laughs> Little, little, the tiny little things, I guess. I suppose once you've, you're good at what you do and you're successful, it, you, it's the little things that make you happy. I suppose. Mm. What about you? I like um, sitting with the newspaper in the garden. Right. Okay. Just that. In the middle of winter. Yeah, <laughs> ideally in the middle of the winter, but um, heavily lagged. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, everyone thinks it... I mean, I don't do any drugs, alcohol, anything now. And that's where I used to get my white heat happiness right. from. Right. But now I get it from um, very minor things. Yes, yeah, the, yeah, the, the little things. I, t- I watched Supersonic, the uh, the movie about Oasis. Mm. Were you pleased with that? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a cracking film. I'd recommend it. There's a bit in it where the first album is on the shelves mm. and you say... I'm cursed to be eternally bored now because it was all about this. It was all about getting yeah. that first album. Yeah, I went, that was it. The, the, the ambition of Oasis went in stages. It was kind of like, let's get a record deal. Then after that, let's make, a, let's make an album. And after that, it was like, okay, we've got to do another one now. <laughs> it's good if I've already written it. Yeah. And then uh, there was, yeah... The, even now, today, it's kind of you just take one cycle at a time. You know what I mean? And um, but it, it, there is something about the thrill of the climb, oh, which you never because because you're you're totally. you're never going to leave the top of the mountain now. No, you you get to a point. The difficult bit is when you get to that point and you flatline is staying there. The th- when you the thrill of that ride, honestly, it's it was just incredible. No two weeks were the same, and you would get calls. And it was all pre-digital, the digital age and social media and that. So it was kind of old school and you'd, you know, you'd actually have to answer the phone to someone. Yeah. I'd pick up the phone with a lead in the end of it. Oh, it's got a lead wow. in the end of it, yeah. You could find them then. <laughs> they were plugged in. Yeah. You'd get a call saying, you know, you've sold a million records in, you know, Mogadishu. You're just like, no way. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you very much. <laughs> And then where's me Atlas? <laughs> yeah. This is Absolute Radio. Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. Do you think that there's a danger with a band that gets that massive that quickly that you could end up... Look, I've, I've seen Paul McCartney and I don't want him to play anything post-Wings. I just want him mm. to recreate that special time in my life. Do you think that Oasis fans got a bit like that? They want yeah. him to freeze you in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do have a sense of ownership of your thing. It's like with this record, it's it's quite different to what I do and uh, it's more electronic and there's people singing in French and all that kind of thing. The thing with Oasis is it generates a new generation of fans every five or six years and it feels like there's a, a generation that's come along now and they're really young and they have an image of what they think you should be and they take ownership of it. I guess it's nice and all that, but you can't, when you're in the studio creating something, you can't think... Well, what would my fans want? Mm. You can't think that. So when 
when you're going to do the gigs, it's kind of as long as you can play what you want, then you play what they want as well. You give them a you know blast from the past and all. It's that. a deal, isn't it? Every gig is a deal. Of course, with it's the like audience. you say when you go see Paul McCartney. You know, it's like imagine if he only did wing stuff. Yeah, you'd be like, all right, we get it. Come on, but you know, <laughs> give us a hard day's night. <laughs> yeah, but it could be worse. Yeah, it could be everybody's going to dance tonight. Or the frog chorus. You yeah. Know. Well, you know, in context, that wasn't so bad. So let's talk about the uh, the new album. I'll be honest with you, it took me five listens wow. to, to get it. Right. Which I would say is a good sign. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but with albums, they're a bit like people. If, you, if I like someone instantly, I've often gone off them <laughs> in three months. <laughs> Whereas with an album, if, if it grows organically on me, it tends to stick Yeah. There. I agree. The funny thing is, is when I was making it, because it took four years to make, and because it, it kind of grew step by step, I didn't realise how different it was until I started to play it to people. Two after every track. When I first played Holy Mountain to my management, they hadn't heard it. At the end of the song, there was silence, and my manager went, are they all like this? <laughs> now, I was kind of, I went, N- What? He said, are they all like this? I said, no, some of them are even worse, you know. <laughs> and uh, he would, it, it was like silent. It didn't, until, because they'd just been given this completed thing, they were like, well, it's very different, isn't it? And I was like, is it? And I was like, yeah, I guess a girl making an announcement in French has kind of not done that before. It's kind of different. It, feel, I'm, see, it felt to me like you had made a conscious effort to to make something different. Is that not true? No. I, if I'd have made a conscious effort, the album wouldn't be that good because you're immediately starting to overthink it. I must do something different. My producer, David Holmes, he just refused any song that I'd written outside of the studio. I didn't want to know. He, was, he wants to be the, the, the genesis of this idea and then he would point me in a different direction. And every time I would come up with stuff that sounded remotely like Oasis or what I'd done before, he would stop me and say, we've heard all that. You can do that next time. Why don't we focus on this germ of electronic music and turn that into a song? And I found it, for the first 18 months, two years, quite frustrating because I've got, I've got a bank of songs at home. I just go in and, you know, we'll do them in 10 minutes. And uh, How many you got, do you think, lying I around? Say, I say I've got... Completed, ready to go. I've got another two albums worth, easy. Wowee. And uh, about, I mean, I've got a lot of songs that just need knocking into shape. Because I think of you as, although you were in a band, that the, the writing process, I remember there's a bit in Supersonic where you go off into a room where everyone else is, is eating a uh, mm. takeaway and then you come out with, I think it's the tracks. Yeah, Supersonic, yeah. So it must be odd to have someone over your shoulder, especially if they're saying, don't do that. Well, I guess because I've made so many records, it was it, the the thrill of the unknown was what kept me interested. And every day was different in the studio. I, would, I remember coming home from the studio one night and my missus saying to me, how did it go today? I was like, I have no idea. She said, what did you do? I was like, well, I played a synthesizer for seven hours. She's like, you can't play the synthesizer. I was going, I know. <laughs> you know, and then you'd go back in the next day and the the, the seven hours of music, you'd done it. I've never heard them since. I don't know where they went. 
probably on David Holmes' solo record next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was all very, some days you would go in and nothing would happen and you'd toil away, no ideas. And then another day you'd go and you'd get three ideas that would make, you know, a couple of tunes. So it was, um, it was all very, uh, if you've got the right attitude, it's all very interesting. Well, it's when it starts off, uh, the first track, Fort Knox, I'm uh, I'm looking at my watch after about a minute and a half, thinking, yeah. they've sent me the wrong album. Where's Noel? Yeah. Somebody said to me in the same management thing, this is a long intro, isn't it? <laughs> and I said, no, this is it. <laughs> this is it. And uh, there was another one. So they, are they? Is there, are you singing on any of it? Yes, singing comes in after two minutes. You say, look, there I am. But it's a great track, I think, Fort Knox. It's brilliant. And um, you have one line on it, you've got to get yourself together. It's Uh, a a great opening. Well, it it did have, it it was a traditional song. It had a verse and the chorus and all that, and I didn't feel it was working. When I started to take the vocals out, it started to kind of, hang on a minute, there's something different here. I love it. It's a, it's a <laughs> it's tribal. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Dare I say it? And this is a compliment. It's got a bit of Happy Mondays about it. I think that's what people have said. It's a bit. Yeah. It's a bit Manchester. It's that part of Manchester which I think you've always avoided a bit. No, I just never knew how to get there. I mean, I've, you know, I've worked with the Chemical Brothers in the past and Goldie back in the day and all that kind of thing. So I'm I was a regular at the Hacienda, but I've you know if you're sitting down with an acoustic guitar and you can knock out a tune like Don't Look Back in Anger in 10 minutes. You're just like, well... You might as well. It might as well, isn't it? It'd be rude not to. We're not (laughs) funny around with a synthesizer for seven hours. (laughs) Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. So when you... Now you've done that. I'll tell you, I I listened to a show on Radio 4 once and they had a bloke who was an expert on sea anemones. And one of the questions... You know sea anemones, those things that blow about on the bottom of the sea? They're like plants. Oh, right, okay. And this woman said to him, how do you know when they're dead? <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> he said, in science, there's only one way of recognising life <coughs> for sure, and that's growth. And if you've got growth, you've got life. Oh. And that is true of musicians, yeah, of presumably. Course. Yeah. I think you have to try at least, you know. And I think my solo stuff after I left Oasis was kind of heading this way. There was things that, you know, like on Chasing Yesterday, there was kind of like a space jazz tune, which is so far removed from supersonic. It's a joke. Um, and some of my fans thought it was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I guess, uh, I guess you have to, if you get kind of stuck in that time warp, this is what, this is what I do. I don't think it's interesting for anyone. And I think if this record, if my third album was the same as the other two, I'd be bored of it by now. Do you know what I mean? But um, I think you have to. You have to at least try anyway. This is Absolute Radio, and there's more from Noel Gallagher next. This is Absolute Radio. Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. The Man Who Built the Moon. Mm. That's a great track. It is, isn't it? It's a really... I love that. Mm. To me, that... I think the problem you've got, probably... Is I'm too good. If it's a problem, is is you're sort of competing with you. Yeah. And the thing is with Oasis, it wasn't just that people liked them. They got into their emotional yeah, yeah. interiors. I mean, we saw that in Manchester with 
after the bombing, yeah. so don't look back yeah. in anger. That that then it's not a song anymore. No, it's a thing. It's it was amazing how p- people rallied around that song in the days after that. It was quite it's quite the thing, and the, I get asked about it a lot, and I've been doing recently, and it's kind of kind of almost gives me goosebumps really that in the days after that politicians words weren't enough you know the the comforting words from experts on the news wasn't enough people rallied around a song like old school you know what i mean it was kind of um and the night i did it in manchester you've got these mixed emotions of you live for these moments where you know your what you've created is gone into people's lives so you're there and it's for all the wrong reasons you know what i mean and so it was it's, that song is I think without it being an extraordinary song, it's an extraordinary thing, you know, because for twenty years it was a, a song of no regrets, and it was about a girl who was maybe was toasting her life passing her by, and now it's become this anthem for defiance, you know well it's like a rel- it's got a religious aspect yeah. to it, I thought I mean you say you got when I watched that on the news and people started singing that in the street, the airs went on the back of my neck. It never occurred to me how it felt for you. I was actually home. watching it at the time, and I couldn't believe I couldn't I, I couldn't believe it. I actually couldn't believe it, you know. And then a couple of weeks later, the the, the band played it in the Stade de France before the England France friendly, and <laughs> my seven year old for a week he was just going. Do they play your? Do they play this song everywhere? And I was like, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> I tell you what surprised me a bit, and I don't know how much control you have over this, and it's the timing of your album coming out being so close to your brothers. Yeah, I never, I never thought, I never thought about it until I started doing these interviews, and journalists were saying, "Is it just coincidence?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, I finished mine. The way the the way the music world is now, you can't sit on it for too long, or it just leaks. You know what I mean? So mm. it was ready to go, and that was it." I kind of know now it's a bit of a big deal, but at the time, it never entered my thinking at all. I, I knew I knew he was making a record while I was making this one. Mm. Um, because I don't know whether you're aware of this, he's a pretty good self-publicist. And, uh, <laughs> and we were uh, like, oh, oh, he must have a record coming out. And uh, But we set the date and that was it. You know, you can't kind of... I said to a journalist yesterday, so when, when do you think it should have come out next year, the year after? Well, I just wonder if you are, and it seems to me you are someone there who is trying to, to break new ground mm. musically. I don't know if competition is always good to help you to be brave and take risks. Do you know what I mean? But it, doesn't, it doesn't matter because the way the press will always invent competition anyway. You know, if the fact that we're both now making records is a thing, no matter when my album comes out or when when his comes out they're just always going to be compared same when he, they formed BDI and to that thing there was the comparisons there that's just the way that it is mm. um, so you just got to focus on what you're doing that's it I, I sort of resolved I wouldn't mention Liam today but now I've, I've lapsed into it I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher Absolute Radio it's, uh, it's odd you know um Many years ago, you won't remember this, but I was with you and him, and he had been... He was standing by a vase of flowers, and he had pollen on the back of this... Bla- he had a sort of black polo neck, sort of with the Beatles right. type of jumper. And he had all this orange pollen, and he didn't know because it was on the back, and you brushed it off for him. And I remember thinking that was a lovely 
brotherly thing. Right. Sure, I've just sneezed into my hand. <laughs> no, I just think um, it's sort of. I, I remember thinking it must have been great, you know, to to have gone through all that and have your brother with you. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's all. It was also Oasis. I say in the documentary, Oasis's greatest strength was also its Achilles' heel. You know what I mean? Because of two brothers in a band singing harmonies, one writing songs for the other, is you is kind of unique, you know. And but then it kind of eventually became exhausting the kind of sibling thing yeah and um yeah i i, I remember to, right towards the end of oasis thinking i'm too old for this now it's like we're still squabbling like two you know 12 year olds it's not for me anymore you know it's awful and um and of course liam has just taken that onto twitter now he's just like squabbling with himself yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's, I love the Kinks, and the Kinks mm. always had this thing that Ray and Dave Davis. But there's a moment in you really got me. I heard Ray Davis talking about this, and I don't know if you remember, but when they go into the solo, they sort of scream. Ray Davis because yeah. yeah. And he said it was. He looked at Dave, and it was. He said right in front of me, I saw the council house, the growing up, all the tough times, mm. and I knew. That we were, we'd broke out. We'd found the door. We'd yeah. found the exit. I mean, you must have had moments like that. I remember um, the point when Liam signed his first autograph. You know, somebody came up to him and said, "Can I have your autograph?" And it's almost like they were speaking Swahili to him, <laughs> and he kind of signed it. And we were all going, "Ooh, ooh <laughs> your autograph, eh? Look at that!" And he's and he's, saying, he's looking at me, going, "What do you do here?" I said, just write your name. What the f- write my name for? Just write it, just sign the thing, you know, best wishes. He must have heard the concept <laughs> of the autograph before. Well, <laughs> he clearly had freaked him out. Ah, uh, marvellous. This is Absolute Radio. Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. So I've grown to love the album. Thank you very much. And I'm glad about that, because I thought this is going to be an awkward interview. <laughs> I can't find my way around it. <laughs> And then it entered my consciousness. Well, good. So, um, I, hope it, I hope it stays there for a while. Congrats. I have one complaint about the album. Can Go I on. give it you? Yes, of course. There is a track on it which you use as sort of packaging. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, you use it as a sort of interlude. Oh, and yeah. then again at the end. Wednesday. And it's a great piece of music. And I thought, why didn't Noel put some words on this? this couldn't, is a- couldn't get it. Couldn't. It just the words and the melody would not come. And then uh, we were talking with the running order and we split it into two. And uh, it just worked. But um, there's quite a bit of music left over from those sessions where it just, it just wouldn't happen, you know. And um, I'll probably revisit them one day. But I don't know why some songs are really easy to find your way into and some are really difficult, you know. And um, that one just would not, it wouldn't have it at all. Oh, it's it's annoying that it's like it's just waiting to be a hit. That song, I think. Oh, thanks. Well, I don't know. Have another look. Maybe maybe someone will put a little rap on it or something. When's the autobiography coming out? It's a bit overdue, isn't it? I do get asked, and I've been offered. I bet you've been offered a lot I've of money. Been offered quite a bit of money, but a few friends of mine have written books. For example, Johnny Marr, and I would, you know. This went on for years. I would say, what are you up to? He's oh, still writing a book. And I was like, 
I'm never going to write a book if it takes this long. And I was saying to him, what, how, do you, how do you go about it? And he was saying, well, you devote like four or five hours a day to it. I'm like, four or five hours a day? <laughs> That's like being back at school. Or you could, I suppose you could take the Keith Richards approach where you get someone else to write well, it. Well, a lot of people do that. They just talk to somebody yeah. for a while and then they write it. No, yeah, but then it's someone else's words. I don't know. I did a tour blog once which just freaked me out. You know, it's like they'd call me and say, well, have you got your blog ready for today? And I'm like, God, I've got to come up with another one of these things. You know, I have to make stories up now. And uh, But I, I don't... It's a shame because it really feels like you've got a good one in you. Do you know what I mean? Because there aren't that many... Um, articulate people yeah. who, who I think could properly as you say Wayne, I, Wayne Rooney's written three on it already yeah I don't know if he's actually read them <laughs> but actually I would be disappointed if you used a ghostwriter because I would want to yeah. hear the words yeah, yeah, yeah. words is your business yeah after all I would maybe one day may, I get, I, I, I'd, I'd have to sell the idea to myself really and you'd have to take time off from others. But you've got three, I mean, three or four albums sitting know, on the yeah. back burner. I know, but I'm just inherently lazy, is what I am. I'm just like, I can't be bothered with this. Like, hacking away at an iPad. You know, I was born in 1967, you know. But Morrissey's book, have you read Morrissey's book? I haven't read it, but people oh, rave about that. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Is the way of his words, there's a great line in it where one of his record company bosses had refused to put this album, some album they were making out, and the Smiths insisted that it come out. And they had a... So it went to number one, and they had a party, the record company, and the record company boss was at this party, and Morrissey says, and and there, in the corner, he <laughs> he was skulking in the corner, looking like an, un, an untouched sandwich at a sad buffet. <laughs> 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 you see, you'd love it. I oh. think you'd absolutely love it. Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. Do you feel pressure about Liam's album went straight in at number one? Mm. I'm assuming it, life would have been easier for you if it had flopped. <laughs> the funny thing is, is when he released it, all the Oasis back catalogue went back into the charts and I was thinking, why have I not thought of this before? <laughs> Why, this is just amazing. I'm kind of like, I'm sitting watching Match of the Day. He's playing a festival in Albania, 13th on the bill. <laughs> and I'm like, this is genius. Why, I call my manager saying, why didn't we do this earlier? But, so, but it, it must have crossed your mind that you have to do better. Well, it, it can't, our two operations are vastly different. I'm an, I'm, I've run my own record label. It's not affiliated. I've got a record deal with anybody. So, but I don't, I honestly, genuinely couldn't care less. Really? It's... The music... If I wasn't happy with the album itself, then I might feel a bit of pressure. But I know it's a great record. I don't care what it sells. I genuinely don't care. That's a great place to be. Yeah, I don't... As long as as I can muster the the enthusiasm to make another one after this, then I'm I'm winning, you know. Well, um... Like I say, it was, I mean, and the publicity has been great. The scissors was a master stroke. I've got to say, right, so the girl would rehearse in the song with the French bit in for Jules Holland. And fair play to Jules, I'll tell you what he said on the night. Uh, so I'm saying to her, before the thing comes in, play a tambourine or something. And she did that dismissive thing that French women do. I will not play the tambourine. <laughs> like, oh, the shaker? I will not play no shaker. 
And I was like, well, can you do something? And she said, I play, <coughs> I play the scissors. And I was kind of put my in-ear monitors out. Sorry for a second there, I thought you said scissors. So she's in, she's in her own band called The Volume Curb, and she's a singer, but she plays the scissors, right? So I said, can you bring the scissors into rehearsals tomorrow then? And in she came, and when she took it, she's wearing a cape at the time, and when she started playing them, I leant into my bass player and I went, do you hear that sound? And he went, what, the scissors? I went, no, that's the sound of Liam glassing himself when he sees this. <laughs> so we get to Jules Holland and... Uh, Please bring the scissors. So she brings the scissors. Just as we're about to go live, I said to Jules, mention that it's the first time ever on British television a scissor player. And uh, sadly, Liam didn't glass himself because he was tweeting about it. There's still time. There's still time, yeah. But um, it's the funniest thing. I was in Manchester the night it aired on the Saturday night and I, I was in the front seat of a car and it stopped at the traffic lights and the car got surrounded by a load of geezers just going, Caesars, Caesars, doing this, Caesars. And I was kind of doing, doing that nervous laugh in the front seat. <laughs> the taxi yeah. driver was going, what are they going on about me? And I was like, I don't, really don't know. Caesars. <laughs> but did he let you off with the fare? Uh, he, he, he let me off with the 260. Yeah, yeah well, that's... I won't charge you for this, mate. Then all is well with the world. <laughs> this is Absolute Radio. Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio. He's been supporting you too, which I didn't understand. I thought, what, Noel Gallagher's supporting people it was now? The be- it was the best fun I've ever had on tour. We were off stage at like ten past eight every night. Just thinking, this is unbelievable. Got paid well, it was unbelievable. That's the 50-year-old man talking yeah, now, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, back on, back on, <laughs> yeah. nine o'clock. Yeah, be back in the spa. In my slippers for ten. Look, no, I'll, I'll speak to you in seventeen. Can I tell you a story time. about? Oh no, do tell us a story. Tell, so we, we met Matthew McConaughey on that tour, right? And uh, I'd never met him before, and he said we were drunk, and he said, "What I'm about to tell you now, it blew me away." He was, we were at the bar getting a drink, and he said to me, "Brother, there are two things in life you're either going to be. That's either dry or." wet and I was like right and he went dry you can scratch that off in a heartbeat but wet it's gonna stick on you like a what are you gonna be and I was like well I'm clearly gonna be wet and he went goddamn right you are and honestly right I nearly spat beer in his face I was saying to my wife that's the greatest thing anyone's ever said to me dry or wet I think we can use that as a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Noel, I'll speak to you in 17 years' time. Well? I might be um, coming to you through a medium. <laughs> but hopefully you'll still be... Uh, those four albums on the back burner will be out by then. <laughs> yeah, indeed. We can uh, discuss it then. OK, so um, take care of yourself and um, may your album sell in, in vast quantities. Thank you very much. Frank Skinner in conversation with Noel Gallagher. Absolute Radio.